Hello, and welcome to EDUCAST, steam powered by the School District of Altoona. EDUCAST is by educators for everyone and focuses on important educational topics. My name is Heidi Eliopoulos. I'm the superintendent for the School District of Altoona in Altoona, Wisconsin, and I'm the host of EDUCAST. I'm joined by Jess Richards, our technology integrationist and career and technical education coordinator. Also returning as an EDUCAST guest today is Sarah Radcliffe, our Director of Future Ready Learning. Sarah was our very first EDUCAST guest when she was here talking about the role of career planning in the student experience. Today she'll be joining us in the context of the other significant part of her role, which is educational technology. Jess and Sarah keep us at the forefront of new and innovative learning resources for our students, and I'm excited to have them join us to talk about the latest in educational technology. Welcome, Jess and Sarah. Thanks so much for being here. Thank you. Yes, thank you. Okay, Jess, let's start with you. Can you share a bit about your background and experience as an educator? I sure can. I actually started out in education in the younger grades. I started by teaching first grade. Um, I did that for a year, and then I decided I wanted to work with my passion, which was um, language arts, reading, and writing, and I taught middle school ELA for uh, four years after that, and that was all in Osseo Fairchild. Then I heard about the great district of Altoona and saw that there was a technology opening here for a tech coach, first one in the district, um, and actually one of my coworkers recommended it to me because I used a lot of tech within my classroom and kind of was one that would train teachers naturally with that, so I became that here in Altoona, which I love. And then recently I've had the role of the CTE YA coordinator, learning a lot about careers and helping kids feel career ready. Awesome. So hearing your background a little bit, mm -hmm. I think I found somebody who might agree with me that <laughs> middle school is the best. That is such a fun age level and such a fun group of, of young men and women to work with. They are. Yeah. And they're, every day is different. Yes. And every day is surprising. Yes. So. yes. <laughs> All right. Similarly, Sarah, can you also share with us your background and experience? Yes. So I'm the director of future ready learning for the school district of Altoona. I oversee college and career readiness, virtual learning and information technology, which includes educational technology. Um, I've been in a director role for six years before that, I was a technology coach, like what Jess does now. And before that, I was a speech and language pathologist. Excellent. So very unique pathway you <laughs> had to get where you are today. Mm -hmm. So I'm noticing in both of your positions that there is a partnering of a technology focus with a career planning focus. That's really interesting and a somewhat unique mindset. Is it just that two halves make a whole, so you each just happen to have those two departmental areas to make up a full position? Or is it by design that career planning and technology are blended together in the same department? We both have a focus on those different areas, and that is a little bit unique to Altoona, but I would say that in other school districts, um, departments like this can be made up of a variety of positions, even if there's more than um, two people working on some of the same things. They pair well together because part of preparing students for their futures includes a focus on the activities and opportunities to explore how their interests and passions and strengths lead to income earning futures, um, but the technology portion of that is also very important. Mm -hmm. I like to, when I would work with groups of kids as a technology coach, I would come in the classroom and I would tell them that all careers 
require the use of technology. And some would say, no, no, they don't. And I would ask them to provide me an example. And I would they would come up th with things like a garbage truck driver. And then when we'd start talking about all of the technology on a garbage truck, they were like, oh, yeah, that does require technology. And they'd come up with various examples like that. And speaking of middle school being uh, a toss-up all the time, one middle school student uh, did catch me one day, and he said an Amish farmer. So he's probably right about that. And I told the students from then on, anyone who planned on being an Amish farmer when they grew up was excused from the lesson, um, and I never had any takers on that. Mm -hmm. So that's kind of how uh, those roles really fit together in looking at the, the technology um, in careers that kids will have and what they're planning on doing when they graduate from high school. Absolutely. And, and you're right that every job does use technology in some format. And even if you think about what we're doing to post our jobs and review applications, even applying for the job is going to require technology. Uh, folks aren't necessarily looking, picking up a paper or newspaper as much anymore and looking through the paper want ads when they're looking for a physician. Right. Excellent. Mm -hmm. Jess, you work directly with students and you support technology integration by helping teachers use technology and learning. What would someone see today if they visited a middle school or high school classroom that was using technology and learning? Mm -hmm. So from the student perspective, we are one-to-one -one with Chromebooks. So each student, middle school and high school, has their own Chromebook. And um, especially with... Um, Teachers, after COVID, a lot of teachers are all using Google Classroom throughout, so that's their main form of communication with students. Obviously, they're doing the in-person learning, too, but it's a great resource for students to have all their assignments listed there and get feedback from teachers, and it's kind of like a nice interface where, kind of like we talked about with the, the question prior, these students are now using all these skills day-to-day. -day. They're not necessarily handing papers back and forth as much. That still happens, but there, a lot of it is happening digitally. And we are in the process of having a new teaching model for teachers as well, where they have a laptop that plugs into a dock that then goes to their smart panel. So right now we have about... I don't want to say a little less than a third of our district with that set up, and we hope to, in the next couple of years, have our whole school there. So if you were in one of those classrooms, we're trying to help, and we have a team together where teachers were working together to increase engagement in the classroom with the, those new tools and learn everything those tools can do. So, so essentially, the, even the teacher in the classroom wouldn't have a desktop anymore? No. So what will having these new resources, how will that um, make their teaching different um, versus having a desktop? Um, well, a couple of things. Well, one, it's just easier. They're going to have less technology to worry about. They don't have their desktop and their laptop. But ideally, we should be able to teach not just from being at a desktop and controlling. You can move around yeah. more as you're teaching. And with the smart panels, then it creates more involvement with the kids getting up and moving and using the panel as well. Um, and it just makes it more for like a mobile classroom is what we're calling yeah. it. So you're not stuck in one place. Right. So they can really uh, manage the, the class period from anywhere in the room mm -hmm. versus kind of being tied to their desk where their desktop right. is. Yes. All right. So this is one of those many topics um, we could talk about in a discussion about how things were different before and after the limitations imposed during COVID. We started out being out of school for three months with techni technology as our main source of learning. And then many schools moved into a hybrid schedule in which all students had some sort of in-person learning and then some scheduled at-home learning using technology. 
But then we moved into using technology for learning when there were extended absences, with some students in person and others learning at home via technology. Working with teachers and being in classrooms, are you noticing differences in the way technology is used uh, compared to that pre-pandemic time? Yes, very much so. Um, when, I mean, like everyone, I think when this first came about, it was kind of panic mode and being the technology coach, it was a little scary because yeah. you're like, oh, this is all on me now. Like I'm no pressure. <laughs> <laughs> right. Um, so just trying to gather resources together really quick and get it out there. Um, and so teachers in a way were forced to use technologies and just like anything else, you're going to have the people that are hesitant to do it. And if they, they can find a way that they don't have to do it, they're like, oh, I'm just not interested. I don't have time for that. Well, this kind of made it where you don't have a choice. Like these are the things we have to do. And it's been kind of cool to see because some of the most resistant people that I worked with now I see are like, now that they are using Google Classroom and they have, they're like, oh, am I going to get the new classroom model? Like, I'm ready for that. I'm ready for this. So I think it was scary for everyone, but I think it kind of gave more of like the basic technology, everyone on the same level playing field then. And now there's more room to play with the, the fun stuff, if you will. Yeah. But, yeah. I think yeah. too, it increased flexibility mm -hmm. because there were a lot of things that we didn't think we could do before. And when you described that question, there's certainly a lot of scenarios that students and teachers were engaged in some at home, some at school, different schedules. And I think it made us more flexible with utilizing technology for things that we may not have otherwise, um, like makeup work or a child being you know, at home because they're not feeling well, but maybe well enough to do a little bit of um, studying at home. It helps keep kids caught up. And I think we as educators are more flexible in thinking that way too. Yeah. Reminds me of that saying, what is it? Necessity is the father of invention. Mm -hmm. Like right. like you said, Jess, we, we didn't really have a choice. Mm -hmm. So even though we might've felt uncomfortable as the educators, this is what we had to do to continue to educating our students. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Right. So as we look back even further, so even earlier than um, conversations about COVID, technology has evolved drastically since its earliest uses in technology, or excuse me, in education, like in the late 80s. I remember uh, computers being used largely for learning typing skills or what we eventually renamed as keyboarding, as well as probably some of my earliest memories of playing Oregon Trail. Um, as an elementary student, I remember the first computers in our student in our school, and we didn't even have enough for an entire class. Okay. Two students would sit together and share a computer to play Oregon Trail. Right. Um, when I was hired for my first teaching job in 2000, over 20 years ago, we were still largely focused on word processing, to be perfectly honest, and that's not the case anymore. As you've watched technology and uh, in learning evolve over time, what do you see as the most important skill our students should master? The, the list of skills is ever-changing, just like technology is ever-changing. But one of the things that I keep coming back to is that our students need to be critical consumers of information. Mm -hmm. um, they need to be able to read, um, search for information, think formulate a view and then be able to have some intelligent discourse with other people politely about what they um, see and what they read uh, and what they hear on the news. Essentially, kids need to be able to determine for themselves if something is fake news or not. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Yes. An important skill for us all. <laughs> yeah. And I think it would make the world a better place. Yes, absolutely. Absolutely. 
as you both have been working with our students and our teachers in this area and, and even have seen some of these transformations yourselves, what surprised you the most? I think we've talked about this before and I, and I think, you know, math and literacy people say are important and everyone kind of agrees. Um, we see digital literacy is being as important as math or science yeah. or, or reading skills. And what's surprising is that not necessarily all teachers share that view. Mm -hmm. And we think it's because they don't know how to teach kids how to use technology for learning. They weren't trained that way. Right. It wasn't there for them when they were in school, so they don't have that experience. Computer skills used to be its own class, and right. now it's embedded in all the things that we do. So that's kind of surprising um, mm -hmm. to us as well as we dig into different things. Yeah, and similarly with students too being... I mean, now we're like such a tech world, like mm -hmm. even outside of education. And I've had this conversation with teachers before too. It's like, oh, these kids are tech savvy. It's like, well, they might be, and they might have had been on their iPad at home or playing on their Xbox, but that doesn't mean they know how to use the Chromebook for right. educational purposes and for what you want. So sometimes I feel like teachers don't feel like kids need to be taught how to use technology because they're tech savvy. And they might be to some degree, but not maybe how to, like we talked about, how to use all that information at your fingertips and get what you need to get, you know, for your education or for whatever class you're in. So that's kind of mind blowing for myself. And then I think a lot of teachers, when they kind of realize that they're like, yeah, that's true. Absolutely. Very different purposes. Yes. Mm -hmm. Without yes. a doubt. So we've been hearing a lot of talk lately about artificial intelligence and most recently chat GPT, which Google tells me means generative pre-trained transformer. Uh, for those who might not be familiar with this, could you share what this is and why, why is there so much talk about this right now? Yeah, so chat GPT is certainly something that has come um, onto the scene recently, but artificial intelligence has been around for a long time and it, it's not necessarily new. So what ChatGPT is, is it's a, um, it generates answers to questions kind of like Google, but it takes the human search part out of Google. So if I Google something, I'm looking it up and then I have to read through all these different resources to try to figure out what is the answer or what makes up an answer. In ChatGPT, you can put in a question and it generates the answer based on doing that search for you. Right. So it's it summarizes essentially the information. Um, the thing that is a little bit scary about it is how smart it seems to be mm -hmm. um, because you can ask ChatGPT to write you a paragraph about the origins of World War One, and it will. And then you can ask it to write a paragraph of the origins um, of World War One as if a middle schooler wrote it. And it starts out in a more um, middle school tone like World War One was a really big war. And it's surprising wow. at how it can assimilate that information in different ways based on the request that you make. So that part is a little bit new, but AI itself is not new. So Siri is AI, Alexa is AI, and, and we've been using those tools um, for a number of years. In, in fact, I think the first form of AI that we probably, many of us used was in the 90s when we played Minesweeper against the computer. Oh, That's AI. Sure. So um, it's it's not new, but, but it's new on the scene as packaged the way that it is, um, and it's free. So it, there's a lot of uh, questions yet about how we use this for good. Mm-hmm. So Jess, you being a former English teacher as mm -hmm. well, when I hear about this, I mean, um, when I would get something in and there was something that told me it might be plagiarized, 
I could simply copy and paste the text into a web browser. And oftentimes, if it was plagiarized, especially if it was, say, perhaps a published poem or something <laughs> like that, I could get that returned back to me. But from the way you're explaining it, every prompt is different. So when right. you ask, write a paragraph about World War One, and somebody else says, you'll get different paragraphs. Yep. So it's not just as easy as entering the text back in a plagiarism checker. No, each composition is novel. And ChatGPT can write poetry. Um, I asked it to write a poem about a saxophone, and it was actually quite clever. Yeah. Uh, so yeah, it it can't be checked in a plagiarism checker, but there are still some things that we can do as educators because we know kids and we know kid behavior. Um, one of the things that we do here is, is we, bla we block chat GPT on our student Chromebooks. That is a very minor thing to do because kids can use other devices. There's mm -hmm. lots of ways around that. Um, but as educators, we can think about, has that student written a piece like that, sounded like that before? Mm -hmm. um, has it been that thorough before? We could also sit down with the written um, essay or uh, paragraph or answer that the student wrote and ask them to tell us about what they were thinking when they wrote that. Yeah. Um, unless students studied and memorized what they, <laughs> what they got out of chat GPT, it would be really difficult to be authentic in that conversation if you haven't written um, what you're looking at. Yeah. And even at the end of the day, I guess we could have them writing with a pen or a pencil and paper right in front of us, right. just like we did. Yep. Mm -hmm. um, or even as was used in college. But I imagine even things like um, those who develop and administer the ACT or other standardized tests are going to have to have this in mind for um, any uh, high stakes assessment mm -hmm. or entrance exam where uh, those taking the test would have internet access. Yeah. And, and similarly, you know, going back to, it would be really hard at this point to use AI in a class discussion. Right. You know, your written, um, your written communication, it might be a little bit easier to do, but um, classroom discussions for understanding content is still not something that AI is going to be really helpful with for kids. Yeah. So I've asked this question to our previous guests, and I would love to hear your perspectives as well. We've heard so many educators and educational leaders at all levels and in every school district say that the past few years in education have been the most challenging that they've faced. And I, for one, would agree with that. Um, we've, we've faced some tough things the last few years. At the same time, though, conversations like this and those that we've had about career planning um, and the way teaching and learning has changed. Um, there's some really exciting things happening in education as well, including the work you've been talking about today. So what do you think is the best thing happening in education right now? I think personally, and I, I think I've gotten more of a front seat to this ever since with taking on the CTE role, but um, it's just the real world experiences we offer yes. for students. And I just, I don't recall having that many when I was in high school or just knowing about them. And Sarah and I have talked about trying to even increase the awareness of the things we do offer here at Altoona, whether it be, you know, you can get your CNA license, you can take classes at right. CBTC, you could do a youth apprenticeship. Oh, this is all free and yeah. offered by your school is just so cool. And just to know that there's so many different pathways out there and it's not just one pathway. I feel like when I was in high school too, it was mm -hmm. like four-year school or bust, which I'm glad I did it and I'm happy where I am. But there's so many people that maybe that wasn't what they needed and they just went right into the workforce versus maybe they could have done like a 12-week truck driver training program. Or I feel like we're getting better at letting students know that there's all these different pathways that you can take to be 
a professional. It doesn't have to be like the four-year school. Which right. Is the sooner they can get those in-person experiences, it's going to help them with their own decision-making. Because it's tragic if they invest four years of college and get to that last semester and realize in their first workplace experience that, wow, I do not want to do this. Mm -hmm. If they can make some of those informed decisions earlier, what a, a gift and a service we can give them. Mm -hmm. and I think we, we start exploring that very young with kids and, and really hit the ground running in seventh grade. And I remember um, we didn't talk as much about careers and opportunities when I was in school. And when I was a junior, uh, my school counselor said, well, what are you going to do after high school? And it's like I had never thought of that before yeah. um, and what was next for me. So um, the students that we have now, what's really exciting is that they have a lot of chances to try things on in their mind and then decide to do it or not do it and maybe take some classes along the way or get experiences like Jess talked about to see if that's something they really like or not. Yeah. And it is kind of funny. And I just from what you said, I can think of one specific example in my head. I have a student who last year got her CNA license and then decided to do a welding apprenticeship this year. I, yeah. They knew that that wasn't for me, but those are all offerings. But from yeah. like, there's no payment coming from them. And it's just like, well, I, I went and got my CNA license. It was cool. I worked for that a little bit, decided I didn't want to do it. So now I'm going to go do a welding apprenticeship. Yeah. You know, it's just cool that before you graduate high school, all that's already happening. Right. It's pretty cool. Absolutely. And this is another place where I see the world's colliding because um, there is technology that students are able to use and it's responsive to them that they can assess even every year mm -hmm. where their interests and their skill sets um, intersect to help them identify the career pathways that would mm -hmm. be the best fit for them. So very cool that they can do that early and often. So as their interests might change mm -hmm. um, or stay the same, they can look for opportunities to give it a try. Absolutely. We've spent a lot of time today talking about educational technology, which we've watched evolve drastically over the past several years. Conversely, what hasn't changed in education? What has largely stayed the same? I think that there is still a lot of the teacher expert model in education, which doesn't exactly match the way that the world works. And whether we like it or not, information is fast to find and gratification is almost instant in a mm -hmm. lot of things that kids um, experience. So this is what the little ones are expecting in the world around them, but it's not necessarily what we do in school. Sure. Absolutely. Mm -hmm. And I, I think similarly from like the learning perspective, just, you know, the teacher teaching the kids learning. But I mean, I think there's some difference there, but overall, like the, the mentality is the same. Um, but some things that I noticed that really haven't changed, I just think something I think of is school pride and just mm -hmm. like any kind of activities, whether it be going to sporting events or assemblies. And I'm also a student council advisor, so I guess my mind goes to that hat too. Yeah. But I just think that's kind of a, a good thing that kind of even after the pandemic like I think we were kind of afraid like is that going to come back you know after not having it and I feel like it has so I think that's kind of a cool thing that's stayed the same throughout. Yeah, excellent. Well, that's great to know and to see and to hear that some of those most important social aspects mm -hmm. as well um, have, have returned and have stayed a part of the school experience. So today we've been talking to two educators who lead technology integration in education. Thank you to our guests on Educast today. Jess Richards, our technology integration coach and CTE coordinator, and Sarah Radcliffe, our director of Future Ready Learning. I really enjoyed visiting with both of you today and hearing about the role technology plays in teaching and learning. Thank you so much for joining us. Thanks for having yes, us. Yes, thank you. <laughs>